0: Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. So today we're going to be talking about the hottest show on Broadway, Springsteen on Broadway, which just opened and will run until February at the Walter Kerr Theater, which is a very tiny venue, perhaps slightly smaller than you know MetLife Stadium. Yeah. It holds about 970 people, and I have with me uh, Andy Green from Rolling Stone. Hello, Andy. Hi, hi there, Brian. And we were lucky enough to see Springsteen on Broadway uh, a couple days ago in the previews. And uh, it is a very intimate experience. It has gotten almost universally positive reviews. Uh, They came out last night and uh, it's pretty much a rave, which is really interesting. I was wondering, and I think we were talking about whether the fact that it's a hard to categorize show, it's on Broadway, but it's not a Broadway show. It's certainly not a musical It's certainly not like a one-man show and like he's, you know, doing characters and voices and tap dancing, which is, or whatever you think of a one-man show. Uh, It's not a concert either. (laughs) So as Andy wrote in his review, it's kind of like a live version of Springsteen's book, Born to Run. And the book, for those who read it and for those who didn't, I mean, it's this very vivid look at sort of the real Bruce Springsteen, the... Bruce Springsteen, the person, as opposed to Bruce Springsteen, the persona, you really get a sense of the guy behind the kind of halo, which he kind of rips off. When I interviewed him about the book, he he said he deliberately included details, including like <laughs> a mild venereal disease he once caught. Uh, he got crabs and gave it to his dad. He, you know, <laughs> that I mean, he put that stuff in the book for a reason, which was like, I am a human being. I am not this like just this American icon. I am an American icon, but there's like a real complicated, flawed human being beneath this, including a human being with like a really complex psyche and some really complex stuff going on in his background, which if anything is underplayed, I would say, in the Broadway show. I mean, for example, in the book, what you find out about his father, Douglas, is that contrary to just being sort of a hard hat, hard ass, like, you know, a an old timey, Luke Howard, a conservative guy was mad about his long-haired son actually he was also mentally ill I mean flat out that's what he reveals in the book and in the show he kind of pulls back on that you right Andy I mean
1: yeah I would think that's definitely true I guess with the show there's not a lot of space for that much nuance about each character right and also he just doesn't maybe want to get quite as Intense as the book right I
0: think it would be as it is it is a very very intense and emotional experience I think if you get into the 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 deep darkness of that stuff and I'm sure he played with and realized, You know, it's like, you know what? I'm hinting at it. It's enough and but to get back to what this show is it is a combination of spoken word passages, which was sort of Inaccurately reported in advance to be him quote-unquote reading from the book That's what sort of the New York Post leak said He's gonna It almost seemed like it was meant to demean the show The way that the, the yeah, Post
1: was reporting it, it It was first seen by people As sort of a weird book tour of sorts He'd sit on stage and be turning pages And be like wearing <laughs> reading glasses or something
0: And doing a full-on reading Which is not the case at all Not only that Not only is, is there no book in front of him <laughs> uh, Thankfully But he's also The spoken word pieces that he's doing are actually either brand new or substantially edited or altered from the book. And I, I think, Andy, your close analysis was the first place to really realize that. I think a lot of people in their casual attendance to the show assume that the things are from the book because they're similar to things in the book. Yeah. But no, he, he he may have intended, for all we know, to have done things straight from the book. And then as soon as he started to do that, he realized that they weren't going to work exactly as yeah. spoken word pieces. Yeah, he had to condense things. So I recorded the whole
1: show just for myself and I which and I, I searched for small passages in the book and they weren't there. I, I became, it was very clear that he had rewritten a bunch of it. And at one point in the show, when he does read out of the book, he says he's
0: doing that. He's like, this next part is from the book. Right. And so it's a combination of spoken word stuff and then, Song performances. He does sing songs. He's not just sitting there talking. Yeah. But uh, it's extremely striking when he gets on stage. He comes out. And I'll just set the scene a little bit. So it's a 970 people, most of them extremely hardcore Bruce fans and some critics. Uh, we were at the critics preview, obviously. Yeah. And there was an air of extreme excitement in the air. Uh, the, there was a, a, a woman behind me. Everyone was trying to be kind of cool about it and there was a woman behind me and I can do a Jersey accent because yeah. I'm from Jersey. Uh, she's like, she's like, I can't even over here. Bruce is going to be on stage right then. Two minutes. And yeah. then everyone <laughs> laughed because, you know, it's like it broke the yeah, playing cool. You pool. Know? Huge excitement yeah. Yeah. But that he
1: walked out so
0: nonchalantly that there was no staying ovation when he walked on stage. He... And I think part of it was the whole show. It's this undercutting of the myth It's a, it, like I was saying yeah. it's an attempt to show so he walks out and instead of the only time I've ever seen this Well, th- there might have been shows Can you think of a show where you saw Bruce Springsteen walk out and just start talking instead of starting to sing? Uh, yes, actually it's an obscure story,
1: <laughs> but I was in Cincinnati when there was a rate when there was a protest against the city because there were huge racial problems and there was a protest and there was a sort of boycott of sorts and he walked out on stage (laughs) and he gave a speech to begin the show. Fine. Other than
0: that, it is extremely unusual for him to Come out and just talk. Yes, it's certainly not what you'd expect. So he he comes out and without spoiling, it comes out and he goes like DNA, and that's a, that's the first. So he starts this rap about what it takes to you know rock a stadium to become that guy, and he lists he lists a bunch of things. He starts off with DNA. You could feel this palpable thing go through the audience, and be like, what the hell is this? You know, yeah, and they do what how- he intends. You know, yeah, and then he
1: starts singing, and the and the audience they were confused at parts. It's this weird
0: energy of like, do I clap? Do I sing along? Do I sit silently? The the answer, by the way, is sit quietly. (laughs) Be quiet. It's not MetLife Stadium. Seriously, shut up. And keep
1: your phones in your pocket. (laughs) They tell you no phones out, but they don't really enforce it. So there are people around me that were trying to not use their phones, but after like 20 minutes, the desire to
0: just take a picture of him right there is so strong, they couldn't stop themselves. And, you know, part of the thing is having the experience is a small thing, but. Have that unmediated experience for once. Don't you can't look at your phone. You can't just just sit yeah, there just, and experience it in the moment. Imagine yeah, that Bruce I, should jump off the stage <laughs> and wrestle them off off the. Uh, that would be a good part of the show. Yeah, I mean at the Bob Dylan tour, if you take out your phone, they dive on you. Here they weren't doing it. I did see one person get chastised. actually. Okay. yeah. In fact, more than one. So I, my I was problem, so
1: dead center that they couldn't get near um, me. Uh, <laughs>
0: and these seats were too good for him to notice <laughs> I'm just this. But, I was, but I was saying that, saying that yes. So it, it was very intense and it was very unique and very hard to categorize it so he started out with the song growing up and he played it uh you know everything was just him except for uh patty scalfa came out for a couple songs but otherwise it's just him a guitar and a piano and interestingly he played growing up much in the same way that he auditioned with the song growing up many many years ago in 73 72 Uh, the album came out in 73 but 72 he auditioned for John Hammond, the legendary John Hammond, who had discovered Dylan, would later discover Stevie Ray Vaughan, and he, Bruce came up with his manager and an acoustic guitar and performed for John Hammond. And that is what Bruce started as. And you know I think we, one of the things we want to do in today's show is get into that, is that a lot of people reviewing the show, seem to think that Bruce Springsteen is a stadium rocker doing an acoustic show for basically the first time. That is not accurate. Bruce has an entirely different side of him as an acoustic performer, often a solo acoustic performer. It's He did two whole tours, the Ghost of Tom Joad tour and the Devils and Dust tour as a solo acoustic act. He also, when he got his record deal, he had been He had broken up his bands and he talks about this in the book he'd broken up I I guess the Bruce Springsteen band was the band. He had broken up, right? Uh, Yes So they caught him in the moment that he was getting his record deal and it was actually part of it He said was conscious. He wanted to be signed as a solo artist. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so he goes into John Hammond and Amazingly we have that version. He played growing up uh, in a in a Columbia studio I think it's probably this is actually the version the day after he met John Hammond in his office yeah. Then he went into a Columbia studio and and played it So this is what it sounded like when Bruce played the song growing up uh, For John Hammond and, and the day after in a Columbia studio. Here we go
2: Well, I stood stone like at midnight Suspended in my masquerade I combed my hair. It was just right and commanded the night brigade I was open to pain and crossed by
0: the rain, and I walked. so what's cool is that the version he plays in the Broadway show basically sounds just like that. yeah. And then, in the concert versions of growing up over the years with the East Street band, he would often stop and tell a story. The band would break down. and and i want we wanted to talk about that as well. People were surprised by all the storytelling in this show. But again, not a new thing. It's just not something he'd been doing a ton of during these stadium shows with E Street Band yeah. over the past few years.
1: Yeah. In the post-reunion era of the past 18 years, he sort of stopped that part of his show. If he, if he did something, it was sort of rehearsed in the middle of Freeze Out or something. He would do a yeah. whole rap. But this period of long
0: stories stopped. But in the 70s and the 80s, it was a big part of his show. Huge part of his show, and so growing up was sort of the legendary one because basically, right before he, he would break the song down, mm. and he did all sorts of stories—some very accurate about his father—and his father didn't know the brand of the guitar. It wasn't like a Fender guitar; it, was, it wasn't a Gibson guitar. It was a goddamn guitar. Turned the goddamn guitar. So that all is true. But then he would, you know, there'd be the story where he was a teenage werewolf. Right. It would always you know, start. And there I was. And right. Yeah. And so it was always an opportunity. I remember he did one in 2009 in Buffalo, which was one of the last shows with Clarence Clemens when they did yeah. the full Greetings album he did. It was about yeah. sort of meeting Clarence, and that was a, a beautiful moment. But anyway, he went in in growing up on in the Broadway show, at the same point in the song he stops it and and begins telling a, a story about it, you know about his childhood yeah
1: it was a very moving thing and it was a real flashback and the best part of the clarence clemens book which i thought was a flawed book is when clarence talks about his ability as a storyteller that they would be in a bar or something and bruce he would just fix it on a person and just tell a whole story about them it's a part of his persona that that's always been there it's just been laying dormant for a very
0: long time and basically what the book proved is that he's a really good writer of prose, and that comes out in this. But it's, it's also, it, it picks up again on this sort of level of, of emotional honesty and, and detail. And then he put, you know, so then he, he goes from growing up to uh, my hometown. And again, these songs, and as you said in your, in your review, these songs take on a whole new depth and meaning when you hear them in the context of these stories about his life. He, in my hometown, there's a line about, uh, you know, closing down the textile mill across the railroad tracks. He, just to make it like an iota clearer, he he says, closing down the rug mill. Right. And then after he plays, he goes, my dad worked at that rug mill. Uh-huh. You know and then he talks about all the different jobs his dad had and you start to this three dimensionality starts to happen. It's not just an yeah. icon. It's,
1: it's a human. Yeah. Being. He describes his first house where he lived with his grandparents and the street and the, the, and the church next door and the tree outside of it. He goes super
0: vivid with his earliest days. What's cool is you know my hometown he moves to the piano. Um, and that's the, the joke is typically he might be sliding across a giant stage or whatever, climbing the rafters. In this show, the, he shuffles the seven feet between the piano and the microphone in front. And that's all you get. And he might sip a water. That's like the, the full. So all the intensity is in the emotions and in the performance. There's no physicality to it at all, which is actually really interesting. Imagine you're one of the most physical performers of all time and you strip away that aspect of what you do, which, again, is something he has done before. on his Right. Solo tours.
1: But that energy is still there. It's just it's just concentrated and funneled.
0: <laughs> right. So my father's house is from Nebraska and of course that's you know when people act like there's no acoustic side to Bruce Springsteen, that's makes it all the more insane because one of his most acclaimed albums is 1982's Nebraska, yeah, right. and uh, which is of course you know a completely solo acoustic album recorded by himself in a house. I'm not we're not going to go through all that. Yeah, but he didn't tour it, which is yeah, and he didn't tour it, right? Um, supposedly, but we're going to play something from uh, 1990 in a moment because in 1990 was the first time that Bruce actually played. Full solo acoustic shows. He had, as you pointed out the other day, I think in 86, he did a brief acoustic set at the Bridge School. Right.
1: It was the first Bridge School, but it was with Danny and Nils, and it was sort of a joyous rave-up thing. They played fire and everything, and it was working the highway. It it was closer
0: to like, I don't think MTV Unplugged had debuted in 1986. No. Definitely not. But it was closer to an MTV Unplugged thing where it had other instruments, and it was kind of like a goof. It wasn't... He was kind of joking around a little bit. He seemed uncomfortable with it. It, mm. was, it wasn't like... A, it certainly wasn't a serious, full acoustic set. No. Um, you know, but in 1990, um, during this really fallow period, or seemingly fallow period, it was, it was uh, after... Tunnel of Love, but before Human in Touch in Lucky Town, and no one knew what the heck he was doing. He settled down with Patty. He was having kids. He reappeared at these Christic Institute shows. They were a benefit for the Christic Institute, which we won't even go into what that is. Go ahead, look it up. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a left-wing cause, and he was there with Bonnie Raitt and Jackson Brown. And he performed these shows, just him and an acoustic guitar and a piano, and they were absolutely stunning. They were so good that reportedly... They really thought about releasing them as a live album, you know, to kind of tide fans over between albums. And I I really think they should have, especially the first night, two of my favorite Bruce concerts of all time. So he played My Father's House at the Christic shows as well. And he gave a really revealing intro that I think was the first hint at the sort of new by the way sort of psychoanalyzed literally bruce because he had been to, in therapy at that point and suddenly he was able to tell less mythological i would say versions of his story so let, let's hear how he introduced uh, my father's house at the uh, christic institute show in
2: 1990 i used to uh, i had this habit for a long time i used to get in my car, and I would drive back through my old neighborhood, an old town I grew up in. And uh, I would always drive past like the old houses that I used to live in. And I'd do it and sometimes late at night if I was, when I used to be up at night. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I got so I would do it really regularly for two, three, four times a week for years. And I eventually got to wondering, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> and so I went to see the psychiatrist. And uh, this is true. <laughs> and uh, and um, you know I sat down and I said, you know, doc, uh, for years I've been getting in my car and I drive back to my town and I and I pass my houses late at night. And, you know what am I doing <laughs> and he said I want you to tell me what you think you're doing so I said, that's what I'm paying you for you know so he says well what you're doing he says "is something bad happened and you're going back you know thinking that you can make it right again if something something went wrong And you keep going back to see if you can fix it or somehow make it right and I sat there and I said that is what I'm doing and he said well you can't
0: so yeah he was doing this thing already and it's amazing that show was 27 years ago and it was very much a preview of what would happen later. So you're listening to Rolling Stone Music Now. We're talking about Springsteen on Broadway and also kind of talking about the history of Bruce Springsteen as an acoustic performer, which seems to be a weird mystery for most people. And we'll be right back with a lot more. Earlier, we played some audio from a 1990 acoustic show by Springsteen at uh, in, in uh, California for the... C- the Christick Institute was sort of a left wing benefit with Bonnie Raitt and Jackson Brown. And, and I should mention that was one of the most treasured bootlegs for Bruce fans for 27 years, basically uh, until finally recently he released it as part of the, uh, his sort of live bootleg series. So you can officially buy that in better sound quality than it's ever been before. That's where we played it from. And, and it's uh, a Net, I believe. And you can buy that in a million other Bruce shows. And it's one of the core things, honestly, that a veteran artist has done and really Recent years, uh, sharing this kind of awesome archive. So Bruce then played one of his most obscure songs, I would argue, which is a song called "The Wish," and "The Wish" is a song about his mom. It was astounding they were dancing after I
1: Dance in the Dark" when she was ninety something.
0: It, it, it does help explain these sort of Springsteen continued fitness because it, you know it's obviously in the genes. But so he actually debuted "The Wish" at one of these 1990 acoustic shows I keep talking about. Um, which holds to my thesis that that was the initial template for these shows. Uh, Andy points out that he then, of course, played two entire acoustic tours, including the Ghosted Tom Joe tour. Uh, so those those would also be templates, obviously. But th- this was the initial start of this side of Bruce, at least as a live performer. Uh, it's also honestly these shows in nineteen ninety were the closest thing to seeing what a Nebraska tour would have been. But so let's hear what how Bruce introduced the Wish back in 1990 although it's 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 a lot lighter hearted <laughs> than than what he what he had to say on broadway but let's hear what he had to say back then
2: i i, I had this i wrote this song quite a while ago and and uh i never really recorded it i put it out it's a song about my mother and uh it's a funny thing because uh you had this song and I said, "Gee, rock music, rock and roll people, ain't nobody sings about their mother out there." So I said, "Well, gee, why is that? Well, it's against all like that macho posturing that you have to do and stuff, you know?" So I said, well, wait, a minute, "Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute." So you know, so this was a real problem. So I wanted to figure it out. So I went to see the psychiatrist. It's a true story. <laughs> I told him what the problem was. I had this song about my mother, and I haven't sung it because of all the macho posturing that I have to do, all right? So he said, he understood. He said, well, see, you, have to, you have to see. See, all men are afraid of their mothers. They say boy's best friend is his mother, but really, all men are afraid of their mothers. I had to pay for this. You're going to get this for free right now, see. So, you know, I said, well, all men are afraid of their mothers. Yeah, that's why, that's why like when when, when the man and the woman, when they get arguing, like the woman's always going, do I look like your mother? I'm not your mother. Am I supposed to be your mother?
0: That was Bruce Springsteen talking about the song The Wish. It was more like stand-up comedy Bruce from 1990. In Springsteen on Broadway, the subject of today's show, he's a hell of a lot more somber. There are light moments, but the, it's it's interesting to see the other mode he could have gone to.
1: Yeah, there are a few light moments in the show. Yeah, he did not see this as a sort of a fun, loose evening with Bruce Springsteen. It's an intense look into <laughs> the The past. stand-up
0: comedy Bruce is going to be next year. We can't even wait for that one. Yeah. <laughs> but again, you know, tons of storytelling on stage, tons of tons of history of doing this let's hear the actual song the wish a little bit and hear you know why it was so emotionally affecting you know it ain't
2: no phone call on sunday flowers are a mother's day card It ain't no house on the hill with a garden and a nice little yard I got my hot rod right down on Bond Street. I'm older, but you'll know me in a glance. We'll find us a rock and roll bar. Baby, we'll go out and dance.
0: <laughs> he left out the baby, we'll go out and dance, in the, the Broadway show. It really mm-hmm. bugged me. I really liked the baby, we'll go Maybe God. he felt it was too edible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I kept waiting for him to do the baby, because there there is, a, there is that slight tinge of like yeah yeah <laughs> there's th- some weirdness there. It made okay. him uncomfortable, so you, yeah. you, I, I, we, we caught you, Bruce. We yeah. saw what you're doing there. Don't <laughs> think we didn't notice that <laughs> again, it's it, as he says, it's not something uh, you expect from a rock star. There's another version of a stage rap for that, and I can't remember where it's from. I thought it was from Christie, where he talks about how like Tupac had a song about his mom. like it's okay in hip-hop, but it never was okay in rock. There are not a lot of mom songs in rock and roll.
1: yeah, and of the whole show, that's basically like the one really obscure song.
0: That's right. And that's, I think, again, going back to to Andy Green's review of Springsteen on Broadway, while he has done acoustic shows in the past, many of them, the difference is And I actually did The interview with him For uh, the Devils and Dust album That was a Sort of a sequel to Nebraska It was another acoustic album Although much more Sort of um, With way more arrangements But he did end up Touring solo acoustically for it And he made a point Of saying to me That he You know It's something he wanted To be printed in Rolling Stone And be like Basically like, Tell everybody I will not be doing Unplugged versions of my hits I'm not playing Thunder Road mm-hmm. um, And he did eventually <laughs> Yeah Of course He's like all right, here's Thunder Road, but yeah. you know, but mostly he did not play Thunder Road. He mostly yeah. played, especially I went to the opening night of that tour in Detroit. Mm. He really was digging deep. I remember writing at the time it was all songs that for dumbasses at a stadium show would be like their bathroom break song. Yeah. It was an entire show but of
1: those songs. Then he foolishly decided to take that tour and play
0: in these half-house arenas. That which, was a mistake. And which, and and I think and now notice he's back in the mo- he's doing acoustic show in the most intimate venue you could possibly imagine. But anyway, the difference as we were saying, the difference yeah. between his previous acoustic shows and this Broadway show, in addition to a lot of it being spoken, is that most of the songs are super well-known. I actually was pretty baffled. I'll just call it out. The, the New York Times said it didn't have a lot of his well-known songs. I was like, uh, I don't know what you're talking about there. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, he plays
1: Dancing in the Dark and Born to Run and Thunder Road and The <laughs> Promised Land and Born in the USA. Those are his most
0: famous songs. <laughs> I think what it means is like, he didn't play Glory Days? No, I think, the- I think the the writer didn't recognize some of the songs so they thought they weren't famous. I mean, look, he didn't play Hungry Heart. I don't know. He didn't play I'm on Fire, but he didn't play like the entire Boring Say album. But otherwise, I have no idea what the dude's talking about. Yeah. But it does end up being acoustic versions of a lot of his uh, well-known songs. And so that creates a, a different vibe, for sure. Yeah, it's a different vibe. And for someone like me
1: who's heard these songs in concert many, many, many times, they sounded fresh again. When he t- when he's talking about leaving Freehold and then he plays Thunder Road, it feels like a very different take on Thunder Road. It is it is him leaving. This is his adventure. You can visualize him in this flatbed truck that he's talking about.
0: Well, yeah, look, let's dig into that. So, in, you know, he plays Thunder Road. Obviously, the cli- I don't need to tell you, listener, the climactic line of Thunder Road is it's, it's a town full of losers. I'm pulling out of here to win. And of course, in the story of the song, he's with his girlfriend. In reality, he was not with his girlfriend when he left Freehold. He was lying on a mattress, as he recounts in his book and as he recounts on stage. He was lying on a mattress on the back of a flatbed truck upon which he had, you know, put all of his possessions because he and his friends had, <laughs> had taken over his childhood house. When his parents moved to California. So they basically turned his childhood house into like a, a flop house. Into like a hippie flop house, <laughs> which was not popular with the town of Freehold. But then he, he left. And then when he tells you this story, and then Goes into Thunder Road Suddenly you see Okay Here's the real life thing And here's the song version And how they connect And don't connect And it's just Totally different Sounds totally different
1: Right And you sense How he had nothing to lose Really That his family was gone He said that he Didn't see his sister His parents were On their other side Of the country he was just completely alone and by himself, and he was, but he felt so free. And then a rare funny moment is when he's saying that in so many of the songs, he's born to run, a town full of losers, he has to leave the town, he has to leave, he has to leave, he has to leave, he has to leave, has to leave. and then he says, and I live 10 minutes away from, from town his now. hometown. You're from yeah. Town now. yeah. Yeah.
0: So, right, it, which is true, it's literally a 10 minute drive, yeah. yeah. Um, so <laughs> And that goes back, by the way, to uh, the way you started re- your review and something he says very early on, which is he never... Did a day's worth of quote hard work in his life. Mm-hmm. That that's all he's saying about. But he never had an honest job in his life. Yeah, uh, but- and and that he's a he in some sense that everyone in Asbury Park is a little bit of a fraud, and he was no exception. Yeah, but then then the
1: weird thing is that this play, as he said in an interview, is sort of his first. Job, he has to be at the same place for months on end and start at the same time and do the same thing. It's like a job
0: now, right? So I'd imagine for a touring musician, it's also an incredibly pleasant change. That you just know where you have to be. You don't have to be in the hotel. You just, you know. And and I wonder also, it's a whole separate discussion. I wonder how many other people are going to be trying this now.
1: Yeah, it got such great reviews. It's making so much money, and there's no production expenses really besides paying for the theater or something. I mean,
0: well, it is really funny. And I'm sure you too would be the first to admit this. It's really funny to compare this to Spider Man Turn Off the Dark. <laughs> yeah. Because it's it's maximalist versus minimalist and yeah. and comparatively it's a hilarious difference in sort of Effort in some ways I mean not not that He didn't work hard On this but you know There's you know They were trying to Basically reinvent The Broadway musical (laughs) They were they were Trying to make like And not just them uh, Julie Taymor as well But they were trying All these technical Innovations and and Spider-Man's falling From this ceiling Spending
1: tens of Millions of
0: dollars To break the laws Of physics almost (laughs) And watch men Fly to the ground And almost die (laughs) They were they were Trying to give people Actual Spider-Man powers (laughs) You know and and make Real green goblins And all this stuff And it was uh, despite Their best efforts Obviously a massive failure. A cataclysm. It was a, a, fiasco. It was a and fiasco. With
1: 1% of the effort. <laughs> well, not
0: the effort, but the sort or, of, or the complications. Yeah. yeah the, with a U2 thing, that was years and years and years and years of work. So, so you have two options. You can, like, <laughs> you know, you can spend five years trying to basically create a real Spider Man <laughs> and write an entire show from scratch and hire all these people, or you can just walk out stage and be Bruce Springsteen, and obviously that, that works better. So what you've mentioned and other people mentioned is in Springsteen on Broadway, around halfway through. We got to Thunder Road, and then the next is the Promised Land, which he introduces with the amazing yeah. story of traveling cross country to play New Year's Eve in California. But after that, all of a sudden it the, switches. Yeah. It switches. He,
1: the last story you hear that's going in this chronological order is is on New Year's Eve, nineteen sixty nine, which is he's not a sixties You know, it's really early, and as soon as the seventies start, the whole structure changes. The life story stops.
0: Yeah. And he, he jumps to Born in the U.S.A. And it's a little bit, you're like, oh, okay, well now we're in the 80s. And he performed it in a version we've heard before with, with a lot of, like, very aggressive um, sly guitar and a, a, a quite a mournful air. Let's hear it.
2: You end up like a dog gasping be too much Do you spend every life just a-covering up I was born in the U.S.A. I was born in the USA.
0: And I think he, he explains the most clearly ever exactly what's going on in this song because he, he cannot say enough times over the years that it's a protest song. Interestingly, some of the reviewers who are somewhat new to Bruce were like, oh, you know, he for the first time, I really felt it was a protest song, <laughs> which just shows he really does need to make this point over and over again. But one of the things he, he also calls it a GI blues, which is kind of a funny Elvis reference, but what I thought was interesting was he finally explains it. It's like he's sick of people misunderstanding this to the point where he now just had to explain it almost to death, but not quite, where he he actually says, Look, the verses born down in a dead man's town, first kick I took when I hit the ground. I love that people think that's a happy mm-hmm. thing. Uh, you know, but but the verses are, you know, the problem, it's what's happening to him. And the chorus is just him stating the narrator, stating the only thing Fact that can't be taken away from them. They mm-hmm. were born in the USA. It's like what they have left, but I mean <laughs> He's never actually kind of had to go as far as to be like here's what the chorus means. Yeah. God damn it you I, know? Yeah, I think that in all the
1: hundreds of times he's had to explain that song that he's never phrased it like that
0: He was assuming that people would get that but obviously they haven't so he said and it's like, okay Thank you that now now you can really throw that at anyone who still under- misunderstands that song and then he plays 10th Avenue Frieza and talks about the E Street Band and uh, most movingly Clarence and, and about his friendship his friendship with Clarence Clemens and everything that Clarence meant to him. Uh, and then there's a segment where he and Patty Scalfa sing Tougher Than the Rest and, and Brilliant Disguise from Tunnel of Love. And then we're kind of going quick. He, he, he kind of, he plays The Rising, Um, He plays Long Walk Home, which we should talk about for a minute. Long Walk Home is a song for magic, right? Yeah, Yeah. it's magic.
1: It was debuted on the Seeker Sessions tour. He wrote it in 06, at the height of sort of the anti-war movement against the Iraq
0: war. And so, you know, Long Walk Home is a metaphoric song. It's sort of, it allows a sort of broken relationship between a man and a woman to stand in for kind of the broken relationship in his mind between American and his citizens. And there's a couple lines that clearly resonate pretty intensely right now. The flag flying over the courthouse that says certain things are set in stone, who we are, what we'll do, what we won't. Which you know. has been quoted recently by Rand Paul
1: as a favorite of his. Jesus. Okay. <laughs> well,
0: <laughs> Bruce does talk a little bit about the sort of political era in this in the show and uh, you know lightly he touches on lightly does not say the word trump i mean that said his views on trump are quite clear he said to me before the election that trump is a moron uh yeah. he's, he said that in like last october and he actually he got on the moron train early i think he was the the first yeah he to, was he before, tillerson. Tillerson. <laughs> before tillerson he called him a moron which I, I see people have pointed out you know he said the republic is under siege by a moron was his quote um so it's not like his views on trump are a secret but I think he he said he doesn't feel the need to write a Trump-bashing song. And rather than bashing Trump, he he kind of hit what I would call an Obama-esque extremely Obama-esque note of optimism. He pointed to the Martin Luther King quote that Obama is also extremely fond of, you know, that that the universe... That the, the arc, arc of, of, universe of the bends, moral
1: universe is long, but bends towards justice, yeah. which has also been quoted a lot recently by Bono.
0: Yeah, cool. You know, <laughs> Bono, Rand Paul, everyone's taking Bruce's thing. But, and he basically is like, I think that's true. Then he goes, I hope that's true. And then he's like basically saying what, you know, the most optimistic twist, which is that maybe this is just a bad but, chapter. Yeah. You know?
1: And he talks about the torchlit parades of the neo Nazis recently, but it's all very quick. It's like 40 seconds of a two hour show. He's talking about this stuff.
0: But I think it's more like this song's stand as, you know, in contrast to the era. And it's the show could be seen in the whole as sort of a pep talk that everyone needs in this era, you know? And and I will say in The Rising, in the acoustic version for me, it's like, I mean, my God, the song The Rising is about a firefighter going up the stairs to of uh, to die and the world trade center. That is what the song is about. Yeah. And the bridge, you know, uh, you know, a, a dream of life comes through me. It's like the moment of his death and yeah. he's picturing his children as he dies. I mean that for me hearing that acoustically, it's like Jesus, the balls to write, even write that song and to make it great. You really feel cause I mean that, that is really in some daring and intense territory. The dude is dying during the song and mm-hmm. they, to hear that bare and strip to its lyrics that was one of the most powerful moments although it's, it's weird because there's a part when it, you know s- someone is supposed to be going a dream of life and background vocals yeah. and he's doing it himself and right. you sort of want to know his from them so anyway so Springsteen on Broadway was uh, a pretty intense experience and you know it's it sold out but if you somehow get your hands on tickets I would advise going and I imagine there's going to be some kind of version available for sale I, I, or, or a TV special or something I can't imagine this stays strictly on broadway but i've been here with andy green talking about it and uh, i'm brian hyatt this has been today's Rolling stone music now we'll be back next week uh, here on sirius xm's volume channel 106 and in the meantime you can download us as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts and you can also subscribe to us as a podcast and i hope you do and you can try to leave us a nice review on iTunes. And I, I did want to say to all reviewers who have complained that we don't play full songs on this show, I wish we could, but we can't. We can't on Sirius. We can't as a podcast. It's a licensing issue. Uh, we just unless you have a few million dollars for us to license out the songs, well, in which case we'd be glad to do it. We just can't. So. You know, keep in mind that we would love to do that for you, but we just are unable to. But in any case, we'll be back next week with more Rolling Stone music now and no full songs, but as many clips as we can. And we'll see you next week and have a great weekend.